I'm starting a new message series that's been on my heart for several months now uh, that I felt like the Lord wanted me to talk about our DNA as a church. And specifically, this when he gave me the vision of our church, uh, a kind of a, re, a revisioning with a new name and a, a new identity, which was really a fullness of the old identity. And the metaphor we used at one point was the caterpillar to butterfly. They have different names. Same creature, apparently, but a total transformation, metamorphosis. Now you can fly, you're pretty, and all that. And so I don't know if we're pretty yet, but we can fly in the spirit, maybe? Is that, is that what that means? Okay, Matt says yes, that's what that means. And so uh, we've had this transformation, uh, we, uh, and it's, it's a big, long story. We'll get into it, but we changed our name to Free People. And there's messages that you can Google on YouTube and go watch those from 2022 when we changed our name, if you want more info about all that. Um, but at the same time that the Lord gave us that name, I was seeking him, and he's like, boom, here's, here's the vision, you know, and here's uh, these five axioms of your identity. What does it mean to be free people? Why is that important, and what does that mean? And so in this series, we're going to talk about five axioms of our identity. We like to say around here, free people, it's who we are, it's what we do. Can we just say that together? Because isn't that so nice? Isn't that like a nice mantra? That's our mantra as a church. Free people. It's who we are. It's what we do. If we said it a few more times, I'd start getting pumped up and then I'd be yelling it. But I'm not going to do that. And so it's who we are. It's what we do. And it's really important, the order of that. Because we as people, we always want to get to what do you want me to do, God? Like you get saved and it's like, oh, God loves me. I'm saved. Okay, what do I do? Tell me what to do, right? That's what we want to know. Tell me what to do. And I feel like the Father in his love and his grace wants to sit us down so often and go, hold up, sit down. You don't even know who you are yet. You're a new creation. You need to figure that out first and then you can start doing. What we do needs to flow from who we are and if we get that backwards, we'll fall into this performance trap and we'll start trying to prove who we are by what we do. If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. It's a temptation. Do something to prove it. And Jesus is like, no, thanks. I'm not buying into that. I know who I am. And so when we look at who we are, as we are doing things in our life, with our families, as we're doing things for the Lord in ministry, we can start to look at the things we're doing and go back to look at who we are and like, do these line up? And if we ever find that they're not lining up, we need to get back to who we are and let that define the things that we do. And so I really feel like the Lord wants us to to spend some time talking about each one of these axioms of our identity. And I want to tell you all five, and this is what we're going to be talking about, taking one week at a time over the next five weeks, okay? So who are the free people, okay? They, we are people of the word. We are people of the spirit. We are people of one another. We are people of the kingdom of God. And we are people for the world. Now, something you have to understand about this is we want to discover who we are You know, everybody on earth wants to know who they are. 
because they're like, they're like, who am I? How did I get here? Our hearts are constantly asking these questions. And what the world will tell you is look within. Look within. Figure out who you are. What are you good at? You know, what do you, what, follow your heart. You know, speak, my, I'm going to speak my truth. This is what the world will tell you. But you will never fully figure out who you are by looking within. Because sin has marred who you are. It has distorted your desires. And so if you only look within, you're going to see some messed up stuff. You're going to come to some wrong conclusions because of that. And then you're going to start living in ways that you were never meant to live. And so if you want to know who you are and how you're supposed to live your life and why you're on this earth, you have to look at who Jesus is. Because we are made in the image of God. And so these five axioms, like we are people of this, 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 and this. But you have to understand, we are these things because these things, when you look in the word of God, this is who God is. And so my hope is that as we look at these things and what our identity is in Christ, that it truly is in Christ, and that we're actually going to be beholding Jesus in each one of these things. We're going to be beholding Jesus in his word tonight. We're going to be beholding Jesus in his spirit next week. We're going to be beholding Jesus in one another. We're going to be beholding Jesus in his kingdom come, and we're going to be beholding Jesus in a broken-hearted passion that drives us to be for the world, for God so loved the world. God's not against the world. When the Bible, it's confusing because John 3.16 says, God's love the world, but then the Bible says, don't love the world or anything of the world. When the Bible says don't love the world, that's like don't, um, I'm preaching the sermon from five weeks from now. Anyways, <laughs> it's saying don't love the things of the world. When the Bible says God loves the world, he gave up his only son for the world. He's saying the people in the world. <laughs> He loves the people, and it says the world because he loves everyone in the whole world. And so th these, these are the things we are of. We are of. This is our nature. If you think of a DNA strand, it's got the double helix. Like, it's a two-stranded DNA. We're like a five-stranded DNA, and this is our DNA as a church. And so tonight, as I said, I want to talk about being people of the word which means we're going to be beholding Jesus in the word of God. And I want to help us do that and show us that this is who we are uh, by looking at John chapter 1, which is one of the most profound, poetic scriptures in all of the Bible. John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the word was God. He, Jesus, was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, Jesus, the word, nothing was made that has been made. In him, Jesus, the word, was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. The light that is Jesus, that is the word, shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now jump down to verse 9. The true light that gives light 
to everyone was coming into the world. He, Jesus, the word was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Why did they not receive him? Because they didn't recognize him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We, the disciples, the other apostles, we have seen his glory The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John is pounding in this idea into the people of God. Jesus is the Word of God. He's the Word made flesh. And right after he says that at the beginning of the chapter, he says, all things were made through him. Jesus, the Word. Without him, nothing was made. So Jesus is God fullness of deity and bodily form. Nothing was made that has been made uh, except through Jesus. And so he's pounding this idea and he, he wants us to know that Jesus is the word of God. So think about this. Think about this. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. And boom, there was light. Like everything in existence These chairs you're sitting on, our flesh exists because God spoke and stuff happened. God spoke his word and worlds were created. That's how powerful his word is. So we are literally sitting here because we are literally of the word of God. And then he starts working this plan throughout scripture to bring about a savior because we needed it, because we forgot who we were. We fell away from the Lord. Sin messed us up. We messed ourselves up. And God in his love started working this plan. Genesis 3.15, he spoke. Like, I can't remember it right now, but somebody quote it for me. Uh, He's going to stomp your head. Let's just say that, all right? I'm going to paraphrase. But it's the first declaration of the gospel, right? That, that there's going to be someone come from the seed of woman. And he's going to overcome what the enemy has done. From Genesis 3.15. That's the chapter right after the fall. God's saying, I'm going to do this. And then he works this plan through revealing himself to people. To bring about Jesus on the earth. And then Jesus comes. And when Jesus comes, think about this. How was Jesus conceived? An angel came to Mary and he said, this is going to happen. You're going to bear the son of God. And she goes, how will this be? You know, because I'm a virgin. And he says, the power of God is going to come on you. The Holy Spirit's going to come on you. The power of God is going to overshadow you. And boom, Jesus is conceived. Why? Because the father said so. Conceived by the word of God. Jesus is the word of God incarnate. In other words, if you could say it very simply, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. 
Because the scriptures say God is spirit, so he doesn't have a body. So he's unseen. So through Jesus, which we would call the incarnation, he becomes a man. And God puts himself, wraps himself in human flesh. All those Christmas songs have that beautiful language. He wraps himself in human flesh. If you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. Colossians 2.9 says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Hebrews 1 verse 3, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So Jesus is God in the flesh. If you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. If you want to know who you are and who, how you're called to live your life, you have to look at God. You have to look at Jesus. Now that's a problem for us in our day and age. Because when the word was made flesh, John says, we've seen his glory. We saw him. He's right there. Like, like, if they wanted to know how to live or how to, they needed to ask him a question, they would be like, uh, hey, Jesus, can I ask you a question? And he'd be like, sure. And he would answer the question. That scripture that says, my heart says, if you seek his face, your face, Lord, I will seek. If they wanted to seek the face of Jesus, he's probably walking in front of him, and they just tap him on the shoulder and go, hey, Jesus, hey, Jesus. And maybe he doesn't turn around at first. They got to keep seeking. You know, we got to keep seeking, church, right? And they tap him, but they get annoying enough, and Jesus is like, yes, you know? And Jesus probably never answered that way. He's probably like, yes, every time. But, you know, because he's Jesus. <laughs> Sorry, that was my flesh coming in. But... <laughs> Yes. Yeah, what do you want? And boom, they've sought his face. They can see his face. They can see if he's happy or sad or how he feels about them. It was very simple. And so Jesus was in the flesh. He was crucified. He rose again. Appeared to many witnesses over 40 days. And then, on, and then he ascended into heaven. And so now Jesus is in heaven, ruling and reigning. He's not with us in the flesh, but he is with us in the spirit by his spirit. When you get saved, you get the Holy Spirit. Jesus said um, to his disciples in John 16, I believe, no, it's good for you that I'm going away because unless I go away, I can't pour out the Holy Spirit. So that's a, Jesus said that's a very good thing because we all get our own personal Holy Spirit. We all get our own personal Jesus to commune with within us, the Holy Spirit. Now that's awesome. That's awesome. We praise God for that, especially in this church, right? But how many of you noticed it's hard to follow someone who's invisible, right? So we have the Holy Spirit. Jesus is with us. He's in us. But when Jesus is in us doing stuff, like maybe tonight during worship, you know, Holy Spirit's conducting some things. Maybe some weird things are happening. You're seeing people do certain things. You're like, what's going on in here, you know? If you could see Jesus and what he was doing, you'd be like, oh, okay, I get it. We can't see him. So that's a problem because it's hard to follow someone who's invisible. So what on earth are we to do? What do we spirit-led people do? Well, praise God that we have four entire books in this book that are about the life of Jesus, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the things he did, how he interacted with people, the life that he lived, 
his miracles, signs and wonders. In the Gospels, we see Jesus moved with compassion in certain situations, and we start to get an idea of the heart of God and how the heart of God is moved with compassion. We see in the Gospels Jesus get angry, and we see what makes God angry. We see in the Gospels what moved Jesus to tears. We see in the Gospels what made him weep. And we see what makes God weep. We see what he rejoiced over and we see what God rejoices over. And you know, we can't ask him questions directly in the flesh, physically, face to face. And I know we can pray and Holy Spirit answers and he speaks to us and I get all that. But if you've ever been young in the faith and learning to discern God's voice, that can be difficult at first as well. But if we look intently in the Gospels, they asked him questions all the time. And if you look intently, you will find that their questions are actually our questions. And then you get to hear how Jesus answered. And so the whole Bible is God revealing himself to us. The word of God revealing the word of God who became flesh. And then since he's not here in the flesh, when we look back in the word, guess what? We get to behold the word of God who was in the flesh. And this is why, especially in our day and age, when we can't see him physically, that reading the word of God, reading the word of God, just reading is so important. Because in the scriptures, we behold him, the son. When we read the word of God, we behold him who is the word of God, made flesh, poured out in spirit, and now lives in us. And so when we read the word of God, the personality of Jesus starts to get formed in our hearts and our minds. The more we read the word, the more his facial features start to take shape and come into view. The more we read the word, we start to understand his heart and his motive, and it penetrates our hearts and it judges and weighs, and we feel convicted, and we go, oh, we ju- it's, it's, it's the mirror, as James said. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, he's like, it's like a mirror. And if you look into it and don't do what it says, it's like you looked at a mirror and went away and forgot what you look like. And so we look in this, and we see the heart of God. And it judges and weighs our hearts. And we see where, oh, I'm not living up to who I am in Christ. And the grace of God goes, that's okay. I'm calling you up. There's always second chances. Try again. And the grace of God empowers us to live up to the image of God that we find in the scriptures. Hebrews 4 verse 12 says, the word of God is live and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates to dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The Bible is not just a physical book we can read. It is a supernatural book. 
You ever heard about somebody who's into witchcraft and they have like a book of seances or it's like the book of the dead or it's like the book of this and you think about, ugh, you just kind of like, ugh, I, could, I would never, a demonic Bible. You're like, ugh, that's gross. I would never read that. Why? You're like, that's a supernatural book. There's some juju on that stuff. There's some, ugh, I don't like that. Sorry, Judah. We call our son Ju- Judah Juju. So that's, I renounce that in Jesus' name. Do not take that personally. But listen, the Bible is the same thing only for the good. When we look at scripture, our hearts are drawn and we go, ooh, there's power in this book. It's a supernatural book. As some have said, it's the only book that reads you as you read it. Others have said it's the only book whose author is present every time you read it. Because Jesus is the word of God made flesh. This is the word of God. So when we, the moment you begin to read, just read the word of God, you come into the presence of God, whether you know it or not, whether you feel it or not. Surely God is in this place and I was unaware, Jacob said. So you can be in his presence and be unaware. But the moment you start to read, you start coming into the presence of God because you're in the presence of his word and the Holy Spirit starts to stir in your heart. But I want to encourage you tonight. It's not just the gospels that reflect the life of Jesus or the heart of God or the heart of Jesus. It is the entire book. Cover to cover, Old Testament, New Testament, beginning to end. Micah 3 verse 6 says, I am the Lord and I do not change. I am the Lord, and I do not change. Hebrews 3, 18, uh, 3, 13 verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. These scriptures are talking about the same God and the same person, one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament. God doesn't change. And so if you've ever been reading the Old Testament and you're just like, this is crazy. You know, <laughs> what is going on here? Like, and then you read the New Testament. It's like, oh, love, grace. This is all good. It's like Old Testament, judgment, law, oh, New Testament, grace, love, peace. Are these two different gods? No, 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 no. They're reflecting different aspects of God's nature. In fact, I would say it this way. You're actually seeing God just at different stages on his journey as he's revealing himself to mankind. If you can, and I, I, yeah, I was going to use an illustration. The Lord's like, don't use it. It'll, it'll confuse him. So that's what you see in the Old Testament. It's Jesus interacting with people. It's the word of Jesus. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17, don't, do not think I've come to abolish the law of prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Colossians 2.17 says these, the Old Testament law and the temple worship, they're a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. And so you, you don't see Jesus talking too much about temple worship, right? You don't see him talking too much about the sacrifices or what you need to do. Why? Because he fulfilled it all. So you see him talking about himself and how to worship him and how to love him. But here's the deal. If you look into the Old Testament, you see in the law that God gave and in the temple sacrifices, you see a reflection of who God is. In other words, it's a shadow. Christ is the reality. So when you study those things, you get a better picture of who Jesus is. 
And then when you look at the life of Jesus, you get more insight into the Old Testament temple worship, which gives you more insight into who Jesus is. And so the, the Old Testament is just as important as the New Testament. The Bible itself is a third, about a third history, which I would say is story. History is his story. That's how you can remember that. History is his story. It's what God is doing. History is his story. A third history, it's about a third prophecy, and it's about a third instruction. Now, we as people, we're just like, hey, just give me the instruction. Tell me what to do, right? How many of you heard a pastor say, the Bible is God's rule book for life? Anybody? Please raise your hand. So, Okay, I heard some yeses. Raise your hand. Yes. The Bible is God's rule book for life. And that's a third true. And every time I hear it, my soul cringes. Because I'm like, it is so much more than that. That's like if you've never met your parents and they just send you notes and the notes say nothing except do this, don't do that. And you have no idea who your parents are and what their hearts are like. It's so much more than that. I want you to imagine that I was a life coach and therefore a teacher. And you're like, aren't you already? And I'm like, no. Uh, (laughs) That's not what a pastor is. But anyways, imagine that. And so imagine I just give a lot of good advice, a lot of wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. Do this, don't do that. Live your life this way. I figured this out. If you do it this way, your life will be successful. That's what life coaches do. And they, they fill a role in the earth. So that's a good thing. But imagine I was that. And imagine you came to my sessions, my coachings, and you were like, this, is, this guy's amazing. He's got to figure it out. I just believe this stuff. And so I'm going to start doing it. You start doing it, and you're like, it works. Oh, my goodness. Every, every year of my life's blessed. This is amazing. And you're just so, you're so pumped about it. That's cool. But all you know is the instruction. You mi- your mind might start to wander, and you might start to think things like, wait a second. This guy's so awesome. He knows all this stuff. How did he get this way? How did he come to know all this stuff? What's his story. I want to know the story of how he got that way. And so maybe you ask me some questions and I tell you my story, but then imagine you go home with me and you see how I interact with my family and you see how I interact with my children. You see how I love my wife and children. You see how I discipline my children when they're a little unruly. That gives you the story of my life, how I interact with people, which is, you're just observing. That's not instruction. That's not teaching. You're just watching how I live. And that teaches you something entirely different about the man behind the teaching. In other words, that teaches you about the nature behind the instruction. And that's why you might think to yourself, why is the Bible so full of stories? There's so many stories. Some of them are weird. When you see how God interacts with people, when he tells them to do something and they don't do it, and you see, it doesn't say bullet point, if you, if you, if you don't do this, God's going to go boom, 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 boom. He's not a machine. It gives you a story of God telling someone to do something. They don't. 
and we see how God responds. We get a picture into the nature of who God is. In other words, the stories help us understand the nature or the why behind the how. And because he's the same God and because he doesn't change, in the Old Testament, when we see God interacting with Abraham and Moses and David, it's Jesus interacting with Abraham and Moses and David. And he's the same God. He doesn't change. And so we can learn things if we're discerning and if we pray and we seek his face in his word We can learn things about his nature. And that's why you can see a modern-day pastor, New Covenant, New Testament church pastor, preach an Old Testament story, and yet it bears witness to us of who God is, a.k.a. who Jesus is. And that's why the whole book, cover to cover, is so, so important. It's all precious. It's all precious. And in a day and age when we can't see him, we can still behold him in his word. And, yeah, I want to say this. We're a very spirit-filled church. Praise God for that. Love the Holy Spirit. When you first get filled with the Holy Spirit, it's like that's all you want to think about and do and interact with, right? (laughs) Woo, Holy Spirit, right? We're a very spirit-filled church. But as I said, because spirits are unseen and because there's multiple spirits in this world, there's the spirit of God, there's our spirit, there's heinous, nefarious, demonic spirits. And the scriptures say they masquerade as an angel of light. The devil masquerades as an angel of light. In other words, the devil who is a spirit, the demons who are spirits, They will masquerade. They will mimic God to try to confuse us. And I think they do that. I mean, that's what the devil did with Jesus. He starts quoting the word of God to Jesus. And I think they do that when people who are devoted to Jesus are refusing to sin and they're like, we got we to gotta do something. And so they start to masquerade as God's voice. The devil quotes scripture to you to just try to get you to do things that's just not God's plan or God's will. Just to distract, just to confuse, and just to mess with you. Or as he did with Jesus, prove it. Throw yourself, if you're the son of God, throw yourself off this. Because Psalm, the Psalms say, he'll command his angels concerning you. You won't strike your foot against a stone. Prove it. And so because spirits are unseen and because the devil masquerades, and I have to say this, when we say the devil masquerades as an angel of light, he's really good at it. Have you ever seen a Jimmy Fallon or another comedian mimic, or what do they call that, do an impression of uh, someone, there's some celebrity, and they're like, I can't do any, so I'm not even going to try. But like, like he talks like Donald Trump. You know, or he talks like some other famous person. And you're like, you're laughing. You're like, that's so amazing. And you're like, wow, that's so good. If I were to close my eyes right now, think about this church. If I were to close my eyes right now, I couldn't tell the difference. Well, Jimmy Fallon's got nothing on the devil. He knows the word of God probably better than you and I do. 
He quotes the word to Jesus, knowing Jesus is the word. Jesus quotes the word back to him. And Jesus goes, yeah, that's the word, but I'm going to correct your interpretation. And so if we are going to stand against the wiles of the devil, the cunning arts and crafts and the deceitfulness of the devil, who's a master impersonator trying to deceive us and pull us away from God's heart, we need to know the word inside and out. We need to know it as good as or better than he does. We need to be able to interpret it correctly. And when the devil whispers scriptures to you, you need to be able to correct his interpretation. And so you need to know the word of God. We need to know the word of God. How do we come to know the word of God? By reading the word of God. So spirits are unseen. And because they're unseen, it can be confusing. It can be confusing. I've told my wife a few times in my life when I'm sensing something in the spirit, I'm like, this is either God or the devil, and I'm not sure which it is. You know, I see a few smiles. Anybody else not embarrassed to say, I- I've been there before. <laughs> I'm not sure which this is. We've got to figure this out. <laughs> There's been times in my life when I've sensed those types of things, and then I feel a lot of pressure on it. And I feel pressure because I'm a pastor and I should know and I should have it figured out. And it gets confusing for me sometimes. Sometimes interpreting life events. Is this God or the devil? I'm not sure. Is God allowing this to teach me something or is the devil wreaking havoc? Do I need to say, thank you for your grace that's sufficient for me, God? Or do I need to say, get out, stop, in Jesus' name? Like, what do I do here? And when it gets confusing, God gave us something in black and white. Black and white. That's not confusing. It's just very simple to get us back to clarity, to clarify things. And that's why the word says, test the spirits. That's, that's the apostle James going, hey, it is confusing. There's a lot of spirits. Don't believe everyone. Test them. And one of the best tests is the word of God. Why is that? Because the word of God is Jesus. It's his word. And Acts 16 says Jesus is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. And I know you might disagree with yourself sometimes, but Jesus doesn't disagree with himself ever. He's always in alignment. And so if you are ever confused about something, why don't you do a, a, a word search in the scripture about that thing you're confused about and start reading all the scriptures about that thing you're confused about, and you'll be amazed at how the fog starts to lift and things start to get clear. And, and you start, the Holy Spirit starts really clarifying his voice. And you're like, oh, now I know what that was. Now I know whose team that spirit was playing for. And it gets real clear. clear. And that's why the word is our foundation. That's why it's that first axiom. We're people of the word. We're people of the word. We wouldn't even be saved if it wasn't for the word of God. We're born of the spirit, which we'll talk about next week. We're born of the Spirit, but we can't be born of the Spirit unless we first hear the Word and are able to believe. And so the Word is so, so important. It's our foundation. And again, this is why reading the Scriptures is one of the most important things you can do as a Christian every single day. Every single day. I've heard many pastors say this, and I'm just passing it on as an exhortation. Don't claim that God doesn't speak to you 
if your Bible remains closed. He has spoken. (laughs) There's like 66 books in here of him waiting to speak to you. I'm trying to discern if I want to share some other things. I have a whole lot of other things to share. Yeah. I said last week that we become like what we behold. We're formed after what we focus on. When we read scripture... We're beholding Jesus. And the longer we behold him, the more his likeness comes into focus. The Lord said in the Old Testament, there's coming a day when no longer will a man say to to one another, uh, know the Lord, because they'll all know me. And he said in that time, he's talking about new covenant Christianity, my word will be written on their hearts. So, So how does the word get written on your heart? You have to hear it, believe it. You read the word. And the more you read the word, it forms you. It forms you. And if you keep reading the word, it will start to change you. And it will form you into that new creation that Jesus is forming you into. So the longer that you behold him in his word, the more you become like him. We get to know him more by knowing him in his word. We sit at his feet Every time we sit to open this book. The Center for for Bible Engagement did a study a few years ago, and it was a very comprehensive study, and it was was done with a lot of integrity. And there was over 40,000 general population in the United States um, surveyed, ages 8 to 80, and they wanted to see how reading the Bible affected people's lives. And they were doing this study because they had other questions and the, the main discovery of the study ended up being what I'm about to share with you and it was not at all what they thought they were going to find. It was not at all why they started the study, but this became the main thing uh, that they found from this study. And what they found is that those people who read the Bible several times a week, say one to three times a week, or less, there wasn't a whole lot of difference in their lives, like in a positive or negative way, in some key areas of their lives. But something happened, and there was not just like a little, a little bump. You would think it would like, oh, read it one day, a little, get a little positivity, you know, a little, a little positive change. Read it a second day, oh, it's a little better, third day, a little better. No, it was kind of like kind of negligible until you hit day four. People who read the Bible four times a week, which means on four different days or more, reported a dramatic increase of, well, I won't say increase. They, re- they reported a dramatic change in several areas of their lives. For example, feeling lonely for people who read the Bible four times a week or more. Feeling lonely drops 30%. I wonder if it's because they can sense his presence. Anger issues drop 32%. 
Bitterness in relationships drops 40%. Alcoholism drops 57%. Do we have a new cure for alcoholism? I don't know. I'll let you be the judge. Feeling spiritually stagnant drops 60%. Viewing pornography drops 60%. Sharing faith goes up 200%. Discipling others goes up 230%. That's just with four days. What would happen if we read it every single day? Why four days? What, why was there such a shift at four days? And I think it's very simple. They didn't report this in the study. This is, this is my discernment. I think it's very simply because you're giving him more days than you're not. So it's a majority of your life. So again, what could happen if you gave him all of your life? You spent every day with him. You started every day with him, which meant you started in your word. George Mueller is a famous man of prayer. You can go Google his name after church. And he started an orphanage. And he, he from the outset, said, we're not going to just, uh, we're not going to try to raise money. This will be funded on prayer. And they just began to pray. And people just started sending them money. And all throughout, you can read the stats of all that their ministry did, and it is phenomenal. They never asked for a dime. They just prayed many, 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 many miracles. This one miracle story, uh, I got I to gotta share. This is one of my favorite. He said they're sitting down with the kids at the orphanage, getting ready to eat breakfast, and they have, they have nothing. There's no food left. There's no milk left. There's nothing. And one of the ladies at the orphanage comes up and tells him, George, there's, there's nothing left. And he goes, tell the children, prepare the table. Tell the children to sit down. God will provide. And they all sit down. And he said, now let's pray. While they were praying, there was a knock at the door. And there was a milk delivery truck. Because in these days, this is like the 1800s. They had milk delivery. Remember the little, the little cans of milk? My truck broke down. All this milk's going to go bad. So I just need to get rid of it. And I thought I was by this orphanage. So can I just give you all all the milk? Why, sure, bring it in. And I forget the whole story, the details, but it was a little bit later. A guy came in, and I forget what happened, but it was a guy who had meat, and it was a similar story. This happened. The meat's going to go bad. Can I give you all the meat? Why, sure. And they, bring it, and they cook it up, and the kids have breakfast. That's just one story. There were many, 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 many stories like that in his ministry. Now, here's why I told you. I, I wanted to give you an idea of what a man of prayer this was. And this man prayed every day. He kept prayer journals, and, and so awesome if you study his life of prayer. So inspirational. But I read this. Uh, he, it was his own writing. Uh, from one of his letters or one of his books, I don't know. But he said this, I always found my first hour of prayer difficult until I started with reading the word of God. And what he found was that he said, and I'm paraphrasing now, when, because I didn't plan on sharing this, it's not my notes, but when he started with the word of God, he's like, something shifted. And I found it much easier to get into a spirit of prayer because I was focusing on what he wanted to talk about. (laughs) The word of God 
is powerful. What impact does it have on us? How does it change us? Well, Romans 10, 17 says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We are saved through the word of God. Matthew 7, 24 says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, Jesus, these words of mine, and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. So we're built up and made strong by the word of God. Psalm 119 verse 9 says, How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. We're protected by the word of God. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. We are guided by the word of God. Luke eleven twenty eight 28 says, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. We're blessed by the word of God. Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, all scriptures God breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We are equipped by the word of God. And I love conferences and I love trainings and I love all the different groups that do all of those things and they are helpful and they bless us and they help equip us. But I'm telling you, if you don't know the word of God, it's not going to help very much. The word of God is primary. And my, what my experience is, I focused on the word of God for about 10 years of my life, reading the Bible every year and just memorizing it and going through it and God giving me understanding. And then when I go to conferences or trainings and get trained, I'm like, oh, I get it. They start teaching something. You should do this. And I go, I know why. Because the word says this. And you get it quick. And you're like, yes. And you jump in and you're ready to go. And so if you want to be equipped for ministry for every good work in your life, read the word of God every single day. We're equipped by the word. Matthew 4, 4 says, for man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We live by the word as we feast on the word. Isaiah 40 verse 8 says, The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. So if you want to live forever, you need to build your life upon the word of God. You need to stand upon the word of God who is Christ, which the scriptures proclaim. <sighs> when we read the word, we behold him who is the word. We are people of the word, which means we need to be in the word. We need to know who we are if we want to know how to live. And that's why I want to encourage you this year, make this a priority. And I'll just challenge you, if you've never read through the whole Bible, make this year the year I'm going to read through the whole Bible this year. Man, I know it's a thick book, but my kids, are they're readers, and I know some people aren't readers, and I get that. But there's audio Bibles, right? And I'll speak about that in a second. My kids are readers. They read a lot of books, um, a few of them different personalities, but they read thick books, right? Like my kids have read, uh, I think the Lord of the Rings, uh, some of those, some of those series that are really thick, right? And there, there are many books in them. And I'll use Lord of the Rings as an example. 
And people read this for entertainment because it's, it tells a story and the story's epic and there's all these different kind of creatures and there's these wars and there's good guys and bad guys and there's a hero and all this. And every time I think about book series like this, you know what I think? I'm like, read the Bible. That's what the Bible is. It's, it's fascinating, except here's the deal. It's real. It's amazing. There's good and evil and armies and, 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 and wars and good guys and bad guys and God and all these different creatures, demons and angels that are pretty and angels that look like mules and oxes and angels that have eyes all over their bodies. It's like, what is going on? This is fascinating and it's real. Oh my goodness, read the Bible. It's, it's amazing, it's amazing. Make it a priority, make it a priority. Like, I'm gonna finish this. You know, I read, I read Tolkien's whole seven, eight book series. I read, I read Narnia, it was amazing. You know, and there's that sense of accomplishment right? Why don't you read God's 66 book series? It's fascinating. It's fascinating. It'll light you up. And so if you're a reader, read it. If you're not a reader, I'll just gently say to you, in this day and age, we have no excuse. You can, and I would highly encourage you to do this. Go to the Bible app, also known as YouVersion. Download that. Uh, Pray about it as you're doing it. Ask the Lord to show you a reading plan. And maybe it's not a Bible in the year. Sometimes that can be too ambitious. Because I think it's also wise to read it slowly. That's also important. So do what the Lord's leading you to do. Pick a Bible reading plan and stick to it. And here's what I like to do. I use my phone and version for that. But when I actually read the Bible, I use this. Actual physical Bible. And I will just tell you this. I'm kind of fascinated by neuroscience and psychology and why people do the things we do. And I'm telling you, there's a lot of truth to it. And it's little changes impact you and form you. And here's what I've noticed. When I read on my phone, I'm zipping through it. And I don't know why that is, but it is. How many of you ever been reading on your phone? It's my quiet time with Jesus. And then one of your friends texts you at 730. It's like, bing. And and you don't don't know what the whole thing is, but the preview tells you, oh, crap. Here we go, right? And all of a sudden, your peace is gone. You were with Jesus. Now you're with them in an argument. And it's like, what's happening here? Because you're on your phone. I've had that happen. And that's why I'm like, never mind. Like, where am I at today in my Bible reading plan? Okay, that's where I'm at. Down now. I'm reading the word and I sit in it and I soak in it and I, I'm a very slow reader anyways, um, but I read the word very slowly and uh, I chew on it. And if you come to a passage or a verse that you're like, that's interesting, pay attention to that. If you come to something that goes, that's confusing, pay attention to that. You know what those are? Those are invitations from the Holy Spirit. Wait a second, that, him saying that seems like a contradiction to this over here, whoop, ding, 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 invitation to humble yourself because you're a human. You know nothing. He's God. It's an invitation to understand who God is in a greater way. And if you want to do that, I would highly recommend a physical Bible. 
I love the Life Application Study Bible because it is a commentary, about half the page is commentary. Most of the verses have something, some commentary on them. And this was done by a, a bunch of guys who are basically like pastors. And a lot of commentaries are very dense and they talk about a lot of stuff that this isn't relevant or ever going to be relevant. And they just go way deep on things that, that I think don't matter sometimes. The life application will talk about the history and the Jewish people and the culture and it was this way. But here's why this applies to your life. And it's in other words, it's like having a pastor sit there going, here's what it means. And here's how you should live. And it's like, oh, thanks. You know, um, if you're looking for a plan this year, I highly recommend uh, Nikki Gumbel's Bible in one year reading plan. If you want to try to read the whole word in, in a year. Or even if you don't, I'm going to read the Bible in two years. You know, there were several years I joked with my wife. I was like, I'm on the Bible in a year and a half plan, even though I was on that plan. Because I just, I read it slowly and that's how long it took. But Nikki Gumbel, who's a pastor in the UK that I highly respect, he writes a devotion for every single day. And there's Old Testament, New Testament, uh, Psalm and Proverb almost every day. And his devotion somehow, I don't know how he does this, Holy Spirit, I guess, he ties together all of those passages and talks about who Jesus is and how you should live your life in light of these scriptures. In other words, it's like having a pastor sit there going, this is what it means. Here's how you should live. And it's, it's phenomenal. And so I highly recommend that um, if you're looking for something. So I want to pray here in a minute um, as we're getting ready to close. And what I want to pray is for a special impartation of the Holy Spirit to help you understand the scriptures as you read them. Because that right there will change everything for you. Jesus told the parable of the sowers, and the first type of soil was the hard soil, and the birds snatch away the seed, and he said that's the devil who takes away the word of God when someone doesn't understand it. That's what Jesus said. And so a hard soiled heart is not what we always think of as someone who's raging against God in rebellion. Jesus said it's someone who simply doesn't understand what they're reading or what they're hearing. And because there's no understanding, it doesn't get deep down in. And if that lack of understanding lasts too long, the devil comes and snatches it away. And so the Holy Spirit is a sevenfold spirit. And one of the folds or facets of his character is the spirit of understanding. And so I, I can tell you an exact day and time when the spirit of understanding came on me. And it was after I'd been living a sinful lifestyle, I repented that night. God saved me from a wayward life and I went home and went to sleep, and I got up and was like, oh, I guess I should start. I didn't know what to do, but I knew I should start reading the Bible. And I started with Genesis 1. And I'd read the Bible growing up, but it never came alive like this. The words jumped off the page. My heart and mind were stirred with thoughts, and I just, I was voracious. I just wanted to keep reading it. And I had one of those study Bibles, and I would think things like, man, I think this is what it means. And I would look down the page, and they would go, this is what it means. And I was like, oh, my goodness. God is speaking to me. He's illuminating the scriptures for me. How important is this? 
Did you know Jesus did just that for his disciples on resurrection day? You would think living Christ back in the flesh now with them, glorified flesh, pouring out Holy Spirit, he's received the Holy Spirit. But listen to how he engages his disciples. On resurrection day, Luke 24, verse 44, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Now, do you know what the law of Moses, prophets, and Psalms are? It's the entire Old Testament. Moses is the first five books. The prophets are the rest, and then the Psalms there in the middle. He's like, the death and resurrection, the suffering of the Messiah, it's all there. This is what I told you. Verse 45, though. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Why would a resurrected Jesus want his disciples who can interact with him right there to open their minds to understand the scriptures so they could have greater insight into the, what he's doing on the earth, who he is? They could have understanding. Another story on Resurrection Day that happened, Jesus appeared to two other disciples, two lesser-known disciples. And he comes up to them, and he just starts walking with them, but they didn't recognize him. Because, again, this is only a few days after he was killed. They think he's dead. And they're talking. And Jesus goes, what are you talking about? And he knew what they were talking about. They said, we're talking about Jesus of Nazareth. They're like, are you the only one in Israel who doesn't know about the things that have been happening? He's like, oh, please tell me. And, and they talk about Jesus, and they said, we hoped he was the Messiah, but he was crucified. He was killed. And that's how they end. Oh, he was crucified and killed. Do you know how Jesus responded to them? Luke 24, verse 26. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Two different encounters on resurrection day. The resurrected Christ is like, let me open your mind to understand who I am in my word. Because we behold him when we behold his word. And so I'd like to close today by trying to do that for us. And I'm praying right now that as I read this, that Jesus, the spirit of Jesus right now will illuminate himself in your heart that he'll give you an impartation of a spirit of understanding to see him in his word. And I don't know who wrote this. I found it on the internet. And so it's really good, though. (sighs) This is seeing Jesus in every book of the Bible. So in Genesis, Jesus Christ is the seed of the woman. In Exodus, 
He is the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he is our high priest. In Numbers, he is the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he is the prophet like unto Moses. In Joshua, he is the commander of the Lord's army. In Judges, he is our judge and lawgiver. In Ruth, he is our kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he is the seed of David. In Kings and Chronicles, he's our reigning king. In Ezra, he is our faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, he is the rebuilder of everything broken. In Esther, he is Mordecai, our advocate. In Job, he is our ever-living redeemer. In Psalms, he is our shepherd. In Proverbs, he is our wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, he is our meaning for life. In the Song of Solomon, he is the loving bridegroom. In Isaiah, he's the wonderful counselor, prince of peace, almighty God. In Jeremiah and Lamentations, he's our weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he's the glorious Lord. In Daniel, he's the fourth man in the fire. In Hosea, he is the gracious and faithful husband. In Joel, he's the outpourer of the Holy Spirit. In Amos, he is our burden bearer. In Obadiah, he is our judge and savior. In Jonah, he is the risen prophet. After three days, given up for dead. In Micah, he is the ruler of the world from Bethlehem. In Nahum, he is our stronghold. In Habakkuk, he is the watchman. In Zephaniah, he is mighty to save. In Haggai, he is the restorer. In Zechariah, he is the branch of David, the one pierced for us. In Malachi, he's the son of righteousness. In Matthew, he's the king of the Jews, the Messiah, the Christ, the son of the living God. In Mark, he is the miracle-working, suffering servant. In Luke, he is the baby in the manger, the son of man. In John, he is the son of God, the living word, the way, truth, and life. In Acts, he is the Savior of the world, the ascended Lord. In Romans, he is the justifier. In 1 Corinthians, he is the resurrection. In 2 Corinthians, he is our comfort. In Galatians, he is our freedom. In Ephesians, he is the head of the church. In Philippians, he is our joy. In Colossians, he is our completeness and the glue that holds our world together. In 1 and 2 Thessalonians, he is the coming king. In First and Second Timothy, he is our mediator. In Philemon, he is our benefactor. In Titus, he is the blessed hope. In Hebrews, he is our emphatic high priest. In James, he is the power behind our faith. In First and Second Peter, he is the chief shepherd and chief cornerstone. In First, Second, and Third John, he is love and everlasting life. In Jude, he is the foundation of our faith, our security. In Revelation, he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. His hair is white as wool. His voice is like many waters. His feet are like, his feet are like burnished bronze. There's a sword coming out of his mouth. There's 12 crowns on his head, and there's fire in his eyes that burns for you. This is our God. This is Jesus. He's still alive in us today. 
He is the living word and he's our living hope. He is the word made flesh. And the word of God, the written word, bears witness to who he is. We are his people. We are people of the word. And so let's get in the word this year. Let's be in the word. Let's pray right now. I want to pray. I've been praying all week that God would use this message tonight, tomorrow, to fill you all, to fill our church with a hunger for God's word, like a ravenous appetite, like a longing, a desire, a drawing. I don't know why, I just want to read the word. I don't know why, but I just wanna get through this book and that book and the next book. I don't know why, but I'm just have this ravenous appetite And so God, the first thing I wanna pray for tonight is for a hunger for your word. I pray tonight right now for people who have always struggled to read the word of God, listen to the word of God. There's, There's a complacency. Every time you think about doing it, there's a distaste. There's a, yeah, I just don't feel like it. And whatever that is, Lord, I just break off right now in Jesus' name, that complacency. I renounce right now in the name of Jesus, any demonic spirit and any oppression that comes against your people when we think about engaging your word. And I command those spirits to leave. I command that blanket, that wet blanket, when you think about the things of God and that wet blanket, like, ah, I don't know, it sounds kind of boring. Ah, I don't know. I just renounce that. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, you would just rip those blankets off in Jesus' name and that you would just start a fire in your people to read your word and to know your word so they can know you, so they can have discernment, so that we can have understanding in who you are and who the Holy Spirit is in us. There's a whole lot of spirit-filled people that don't know the word and that's why you see the messiness of it. And so I just pray that people who enjoy the spirit get filled with the spirit. They like that, that they would like you, that they would want to know who this spirit is that's empowering them and blessing them. And they would wanna know your heart, not just your power. And so they would sit at your feet by sitting in your word, God. God, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, come right now and open our minds to understand the scriptures. Holy Spirit, I pray for an impartation of understanding. And I pray, God, for new eyes. I pray lenses come off the people of God right now in Jesus' name. I pray for fresh eyes and fresh vision fresh vision to see you in your word. And I pray that when we read the word of God this week, I pray that it would start to just jump off the page and come alive, that it would stir us deeply. And as we meditate on those stirrings, your Holy Spirit would speak and give understanding. And so, Jesus, right now, would you open our minds to understand the scriptures? If you want that right now, would you just pray that with me? Say, Jesus, open my mind to understand the scriptures. 
Amen. God, I pray that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word, as your word says. Let us see things we've never seen before. Jesus, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in you, and I pray that you would help us see them when we read your word. Holy Spirit, would you illuminate the pages of scripture and guide us into all truth and remind us of what Jesus said and cause them to come to life for us. Would you please, Holy Spirit, write the word of God on our hearts as we read the word of God. Let it form us and focus us, God, and change us. And God, please, we need your help but help us live it out and put it into practice so that we can become the word made flesh as we live and love like you, Jesus. God, would you come and empower our ability to read your word, our ability to hear your word. I pray when your word is preached that people would receive it for what it is. And I pray that we would be a Berean church, God. He said they were of more noble character because they diligently searched the scriptures to see if what Paul was saying was true. Paul's like, that's a good thing when I preach that you go and diligently search the scriptures. Compare and contrast. And he said in another place that, that he blessed this people. They were of a more noble character because... They received it as it was, not from us as the word of man, but as the word of God. And so God, I just pray that you would take how we view people out of it. I pray that whenever someone preaches on this stage, we honor them as a person, we open our hearts and ears to listen, and we could care less what they're like, what their personality is, how charismatic they are, that we would listen for the word and the word that they're carrying and what they have to share. Because if it's your word, that's all that matters. And if it's your word, it will not return void. And if it's your word, it will nourish us. And so Lord, I ask finally that you would give us our daily bread. And I pray that that bread would be your word because we don't live by bread alone but on every word that comes from your mouth and we have we have food that the world knows nothing about so feed us God and I pray though that we would do our part and we would just show up to the breakfast table because <laughs> there's a table you're preparing for us God and all we have to do is sit down spend some time, begin to read, and there's a feast, there's a buffet, and we can't eat enough, we can't, we can't read long enough, we, we, after a short time, we're going to get filled up, but I can't take anymore, he filled me up, Whew. I'm about to bust a gut on that word, I can't, I got to meditate on what he did already, and what I already read, so we just thank you, Lord, for this table you're preparing, and God, I pray as a church that uh, I know, Lord, I know 
that you're going to pour out your spirit in this place in a mighty way. I know that we will be known as people of the spirit, of people, uh, Holy Spirit people, the power and the gifts and the, the deliverance ministry and the healing. And, and, and I know that, Lord, but I pray in the same proportion <laughs> that we would be people of the word and we would be known as people of the word. And that if people hear about what you're doing in your spirit, through your spirit in our church, especially those that are skeptical, that when they come and they ask us questions, all they hear is the word coming back at them. And they would say, whoa, I had it wrong. I thought charismatics were all about experience and woo, ruhaha. And I, I found I was humbled and I was convicted when I went to this church that I had been misjudging and I saw the power and I saw the miracles. And when I asked them how, and when I asked them what they believe, and when I asked them hard questions, all I got was the word. And I found I was so humbled and convicted because these people know the word better than anyone I've ever met. And I ask for that, God. I pray that we could truly be a church rooted in the word, founded on the word. A people whose hearts are inscribed with the word. And so when we go to pray, it just flows out. We don't, it just flows out because it's written. It's written on our hearts. It's been stamped. It's been branded. And so I thank you for that, Lord. And I pray that we would be faithful. And I pray that we would come to enjoy it, God. And God, I know there's, I've had many powerful experiences with you in my life. I've had a lot of powerful divine experiences at church. but the most often that I've heard your voice speaking to me is when I'm sitting by myself in my recliner before the sun comes up, reading your written word. And as I read your written word, your Holy Spirit breathes on it and you begin to speak to me and say, this is for you. And you, your Holy Spirit gets stirred because I'm in your presence and you start speaking to me about all kinds of other things. And so your word is a lamp. And I just pray for hope. I pray it would be a hope and a beacon to people to know you don't have to be lost. Christians, you don't have to be confused or stumble around in the dark. Light the lamp. Light up the lamp. Begin to read. And he'll show you the way. So we thank you. God, I thank you that you've preserved this word. It's well-preserved down through generations. The best-selling book in history. You've preserved your word for us. And God, I just thank you for that. Thank you that even though Jesus lived 2,000 years ago, we have your word. We still have your word. And it's dependable and true. You never change and it hasn't changed. So it's dependable in an unchanging world. And we just thank you for that tonight, God. We love you, Lord. We love you and we love your word.
Psalm 119, I love the law of God. I delight in the law of God. So God, I pray that you would help us to delight in your law, in your word. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.